Can we trust our media? And then we're joined by Ellie Oswald from Faith to Action Initiative. You're listening to The Common Good. And later, can schools operate according to their beliefs? We'll talk about that today. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Wednesday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. We are in out of the rain. We are in out of the ice. Things, wintry things are across the country right now, but hopefully you're inside and warm. Aubrey, how are you today? I am, uh, I told you, I am cold all the time now. So I, you know, <laughs> I'm good in general, but I am certainly starting to dream of a Florida vacation in my future. Well, if you had been at your ultimate dream place of Disney World today, I saw that it was record highs in Orlando today, 92 degrees. No way. So oh, you missed man. your you missed your shot. You missed your missed shot. My but, moment. Yep. but this was it. Uh but hey, hopefully you're in, you're by a heater, you're in the in your car, you're not outside walking around right now. That's right. Uh, we hope you're you're warm somewhere. That's right. So we're glad that you're joining us today. We've got lots of guests today. We're excited for that. But Aubrey, let's start here. Did you see this story? Uh, last week it kind of came out through, uh, the lawsuit that was going on, I believe by, uh, Dominion, uh, about the election and all the stuff, a bunch of notes and, and reporting and stuff from Fox news has come out. And here's what caught a lot of people's my uh, ears. It says in the days and weeks after the 2020 election, the Fox news channel repeatedly broadcast claims that president Trump had been cheated out of victory, but off the air, the network stars, producers, and ex- executives expressed contempt for those same conspiracies, calling mm. them, quote, mind-blowingly nuts, totally off the rails, and completely BS, often, and, and then there were more and more and more. This is Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, Sean Hannity, to name a few. This is their own personal text, so people aren't going, well, they really believe this. No, no, because it's a lawsuit. They've gotten a handle of their texts and their emails and their this and their that. And it's caused a lot of people to go, man, if even our cable news people don't actually believe and take for what you believe about what led to January 6th and whatever else. But Mm. let's just say that that a middle ground th- uh, statement would be that the reporting around the election results and fraud and this and that at least played a large role in what happened on January 6th. And That's so a fair statement. Yes. It's raising a lot of questions about media, about media bias, but also even what our media, particularly media, cable like news trustworthiness yeah. is even trying to accomplish because it's one thing to go, I vehemently disagree with you, whether it be MSNBC or Fox News or whatever. Right, right. It's one thing to say, I vehemently disagree with you. It's another thing to say, you vehemently disagree with what you're reporting, but you're peddling it when on the air. That's a, That feels like we. none of us, a lot of us don't trust cable news as is, but this yeah. feels like a whole nother level. Yeah, this was a little bit shocking to me. And I'll be honest, it wasn't shocking because I'm like, oh no, I can never trust the news. It was more <laughs> shocking because I, I mean, I'll, I'll just be very frank with our audience. I sort of put the Fox News reporters in a certain camp and uh, because of what they said. 
and assumed that they were wholeheartedly believing the things that they were yeah. talking about, you know? And so I think more than just um, more than just the can we trust media or not, I'm thrown by like, wait, so this whole time you guys didn't actually believe the things that you were saying and it's being been known for saying? And like, yes. and like the impact of that, I think that's where I'm like, the impact of the things you were saying in our families, in our churches, in our That's conversations, right. in our neighborhoods, was like massive. Mm. I mean, people left churches over this debate. And so then to find out that the the journalists may not like may have been peddling in something they didn't agree with, something they I understand humanity in general sometimes says things they don't believe, sometimes goes back on – like, that's okay. But not when you're, like, upfront consistently doing it yeah. and people are looking to you to, like, make life decisions and then maybe storm the Capitol and then maybe leave their churches and then have fights with their family members. Like, this is wild yeah. information yeah. And, to find out. And it's, it's even worse, I think, than – uh, we don't really believe this. This is clearly we have created a strategy to get viewers and make money. There like, you go. That's what this is. Here, Bottom you're, line. You ready yeah. for another line? A top network Fox News programming executive wrote privately that he did not believe that shows of Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, and Janine Pirro were credible sources of news. Come on. <laughs> He's a Come. top executive at Fox News. Come on. And he says, and it's exactly what you just said. We all know families that have been torn apart. We yes. all know churches that have been broken. Yes. We all, at a very simple level, it caused me to get off of Facebook. We know that social media yeah. that's just been yeah. gone crazy because of debates that were ignited. By I mean Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, these guys are as popular as they come. Like oh, yeah, they, they are, are they are making money hand over fist. They have viewers, and a lot of it around the election was this claim that thing and we still see it. We still see mm -hmm. politicians now running on elections are stolen, this or that, and it's torn at the fabric of who we are as a country. And so uh, let's try to be smart about this, Aubrey. Let's look in the mirror. Let's go, okay, so what do I do with this? Because we've all kind of known this. This is kind of shocking to read it. It is go shocking to read. But before we go there, can I just read one more just to show how Please. shocking this is? Days after the election, Brett Bayer, the network's chief political anchor, texted a friend. There's some swearing here, so I'm going to skip over it. But there is no, all caps, evidence of fraud. None. Allegations, stories, Twitter, Curse word. It, bull blank. Bull poop. I'll say that. <laughs> I think we know what you mean. Yep. I mean, okay. Anyway, go ahead, Brian. I just, I need people to understand how, how, what it's a big crazy. deal this is. It's yeah. crazy. This all comes from the Dominion voting systems blockbuster $1.6 yeah. billion dollar defamation lawsuit mm -hmm. against Fox. Uh, yeah. But it's just my, I read this and I saw it last week too. And I was like, this is uh, like worse than we ever thought. Right. Yeah. Like this is yeah. worse than we yeah. ever thought. And so what do we do with it? We, the church, we Christians say we are people of the truth. Yep. Uh, we want to stand for what is true. It feels like all right, we, we should have a we should have a sound effect that says about to insult some people. Boom, boom. Here we go. <laughs> Uh, I know, don't. I don't know how with good. I don't know after reading a report like this how with good conscience people can still watch cable news. I don't so, know how would they do that. 
I th- I think I think you can watch it, but what you can't do is peddle in it as if it's gospel truth. And I think this is a lesson that we all need to learn and have needed to learn in for a while, but yeah. especially since COVID, the election, all of the racial unrest, like we don't go to those people for our truth. Like in one sense, this is kind of shocking to see it in paper. It shouldn't shock you. Like you should be like, oh, of course, it's all about money. It's all about the game. It's all about the system. And we know money is the root of all evil because scripture tells us that. Uh, uh, But also like, where are we going for our foundation, for our source of truth? Like in one sense, I think it should kind of, like you were saying before, like, let us use this as a mirror for ourselves. Have I put these people, put cable news on a pedestal, on a throne that they do not deserve? Yeah. And ultimately, like, it's time to put Jesus back there. Mm-hmm. That's well put. So I uh, wanted to start there just to say, hey, <clears throat> be discerning. Uh, don't just believe yeah. everything. The, the old saying, don't believe everything you read on the internet. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the wow. saying is also true. Don't believe everything you see on TV because here's mm. why they don't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that should tell you something next time you watch uh, your favorite Fox News host or MSNBC or whatever else it might be. And Aubrey, one of the difficult stories we've been discussing for the past week is that horrific earthquake mm-hmm. and the aftermath in Turkey. Uh, and Syria. And so we want to talk more about what's happening with the kids over there. Yeah. To do that, we're excited to be joined by Ellie Oswald. Ellie is the executive director of the Faith to Action Initiative. Ellie, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. We have snow out here on the West Coast, so it's a very exciting day. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Hey, before we talk about Turkey and Syria, give us just a minute on the Faith to Action Initiative. What is it? What is it that you guys do? Yeah, we're a little weird. We're actually not <laughs> our own um, organization. We're really a coalition of Christian okay. nonprofits that comes together. And the reason that we come together is we're trying to educate, but also mobilize Christians who are really trying to support orphaned and vulnerable children around the world. So we try mm. to support them with what is best practice, um, what is working well for kids, and help them really engage in this work and become a part of the solution for children around the world. That's so fantastic, Ellie. I love that you're uh, leading that. So I think the latest news that we've heard, the death toll has reached over 40,000 people uh, in Turkey and Syria. And obviously, we know that that impacts children, so many kids being orphaned because of this. Um, Talk to us just about the impact. Like, what is that? You know, we can kind of make guesses, but what is the impact for kids? Yeah, what we know from natural disasters in the past around the world is that children are often the most vulnerable after tragedies like this. Um, Children who do Mm. survive um, are at increased risk of being separated from their existing families. They're at increased risk of experiencing violence and exploitation. Um, Also, uh, in other similar crises, it has led to a situation where there's an over-reliance on on residential facilities like orphanages and children's homes. Even though the majority of children impacted had families who could care for them with proper support, um, we see this over-reliance. For example, after the earthquake in Haiti, of course, in 2010, we saw this huge influx of international funding flooding that country. Um, But since then, studies have shown that a huge amount was um, focused on building and expanding orphanages instead of supporting the family members to Mm. care for the children. Interesting. Um, 
And I think it's really important to recognize that those families, they, they do need help. And we need to be able to respond immediately to the challenges that they're facing. Um, but it's really important at the end of the day that we're recognizing that these children have families. And um, whether it's their parents or their aunties or uncles, even their, their neighbors um, who would be willing and able to care for them. But they need the support to do that. Mm. And what does response look like? Like that could be one of the hard things as churches or as individuals going, gosh, that's, you know, so far away from where I am. Like, what can we as churches in America be doing now to provide assistance? Yeah. Well, one of the things I always encourage is, you know, it's easy for us to kind of uh, receive these requests for support for organizations doing good work around the world. But there's so many requests for support in such a global disaster Mm. like this. So we do have to take on the burden of doing a bit of our homework um, to find out what organizations are on the ground working directly with children and families, and what is the work that we're supporting and doing. And, you know, we have partners. um, There are organizations um, that really are doing incredible work, and um, they're, they're committed to keeping families together, you know, vulnerable families, and reuniting children that have been separated with their families as soon as possible. You know, they have these dedicated teams that are specifically focused on disaster relief and their training and preparing for these types of events. So we want to do our homework Mm. and find those organizations and be able to come around their work so they can do that important work on the ground. And Ellie, this may sound like kind of a strange question, but I do think sometimes our impulse in moments like this is we want to do something, Mm -hmm. but sometimes we might jump in in a way that actually isn't really helpful. Like, do you have standards? Like, what should we just not do? Don't do that. (laughs) Uh, do this instead. You know, I, I don't know um, if you've seen the stories about baby Afra. It was actually a baby Aya at first. Um, this was the baby girl. You probably heard it um, that was born mm. in the rubble, you know, mm. um, who had that the umbilical cord still attached to her mother who had had passed away. Um, oh. And it, it got a lot of attention, of, of course, because it's just tragic. Um, but thousands of people around the world came up and offered to adopt that baby. Um, thankfully the relatives, her relatives were able to take her in. And I just read in a recent story yesterday about kind of an update on her situation is that, um, the relatives took her in. And one of the things that they said is that however hard our circumstances, the best place for this baby is with family Mm. and like preach, um, (laughs) And uh, it's a really important reminder, um, you know, international adoption is not necessary in the vast majority of cases after a disaster like this. And it's actually not appropriate at all in this immediate aftermath of a crisis. There's still Hmm. work to be done to find family members and to find those people who know this child. Um, You know, most children in Turkey and Syria um, likely have another parent that's living or other relatives yeah, taking care for them, just like baby Afra did. So right now it's critical that organizations and, and we're supporting organizations that um, support family members who have taken in these orphaned relatives. Um, that's something that we call family strengthening and family preserving. Yeah. Ellie, do you know of any organizations, there might be somebody listening going, I want to go to Turkey and help. Is that just completely inappropriate? Or do you know of organizations where they're like, we actually need manpower more than money? What? How would you answer that if people are wondering? 
In this immediate stage of relief, it's really time for us to get behind paid professionals that know what they're mm-hmm. doing on the ground. Yeah. Um, so one of the partners that uh, we often uh, work with is World Vision. You know, what's great about World Vision in this specific crisis is they've been in Syria prior to this earthquake. And Syria is, is a tougher place to access, but they have staff on the ground in Syria that are responding. They were responding the, the minute after the earthquake. Um, so they're on the ground doing some work. I've, I've heard that one of their programs is going and providing fuel because the fuel is so important right now to help bring heat during the winter months, but also electricity to shelters and hospitals that are doing some really important work of, of meeting the immediate needs of families. Another um, a coalition member of ours is World Vi- or World Relief, um, mm-hmm. who has real uh, has partners directly on the ground because of their other work working with refugees and otherwise. Again, partners on the ground ready to respond today, and they're working. Um, I, I know they're doing some temporary kitchens just to get people food and and really responding with those essentials, food, water, heaters, batteries. Um, they've also set up, and other organizations do this too, kids clubs, which are these these essentially a special tent among shelters that kids can go. Um, because yes, of course, immediate needs are physical needs, but um, these children have gone through an extremely traumatic event. And so a kids club is a place where during the day, a kid can come and play and even learn because often they'll be in that shelter for a while, but it gives them a chance to kind of continue their education and just be a kid for the time that Mm. they're in that tent. And I know that that's something that World Relief is doing. Red Cross is another organization that is well-equipped to respond immediately to crises. So, um, you know, I think it's important that we are taking our time to do that research and supporting organizations right now that that know what they're doing. In the long term, I think there will be opportunities to come alongside the church in Turkey and Syria um, to support efforts that they're making to rebuild. Um, but today, the response is really to come, by, come behind those professionals. Ellie, before we let you go, where can our listeners find out more about Faith to Action Initiative? Yeah, you can find a lot more about best practices and caring for orphaned and vulnerable children at faithtoaction.org. Um, we have lots of educational resources there and would love to connect. Yeah, it's a great Sorry. website. I was on it this morning just kind of getting ready for this, and there's a lot of great stuff on there. I'd encourage people to go to that website. Again, Ellie Oswald, Executive Director of the Faith to Action Initiative. Ellie, thanks so much. This was great. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Ellie. Thank you so much. Something you and I have been talking about a lot over the past week, and you know, it feels really appropriate with all the ice outside and the cold outside today, uh, is the Faith and Family Night, Faith and Fellowship game that's coming up at the Chicago Wolves on Saturday, February the 25th. We are super excited about that, and we wanted to get more detail about that, so we're excited to be joined by John Seda. John is uh, President of Business Operations for the Chicago Wolves. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are y'all? We're doing really well. We're doing well. Uh, Let's talk about the Faith and Family Night, this Faith and Fellowship event. Tell us all about it. What could people expect if they go and uh, go to the game this Saturday? Well, I, you know, it's a uh, it's a night that we host every year, and we're excited. We're excited. It's upon us. Um, usually, um, 
usually the game falls in February. So we're it, it'll be this Saturday, uh, February 25th. Puck drops at 7 o'clock before the game itself. Um, at 5 o'clock to 6.30, we have a special event um, that we're going to be uh, hosting a service project and, and letting our fans uh, come in and do some service work. Um, we're, we're doing it in partnership with, uh, with the Salvation Army and some of their volunteers as well. So um, the event's kind of timely as the weather has turned back to winter here. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have our fans making blankets for about an hour and a half um, in in the facility at the arena. And then the, the really cool part, so we've done this for years, um, and the really cool part about this specific initiative is the blankets that are made that night actually will be deployed to the streets of Chicago um, on Saturday. So they wow. take them as soon as they're made, um, and and the Salvation Army is a group that comes in, picks them up, and, and they literally take them right from our facility to the streets. Um, just, you know, try to try to keep people warm, people that need a bit of a hand up. Um, and, and it's a, certainly a, a tiny contribution on our end, but um, something, you know, something we just wanted to come together on and, and have made it part of the game. Uh, so we'll do that. With our fans pregame, and then uh, we'll, we'll usher everybody in and um, have some hockey and, and hopefully a, a Wolves victory on Saturday. That's right. That I just absolutely love that. That is such a cool idea that you're bringing families together to do that. It's a great opportunity, a great thing for parents who want to even encourage their kids in thinking about what's going on in the world and thinking about serving. So way to go. That is such a cool idea. <laughs> where can our listeners find out more about the night? Where can they get tickets? Like, where should they be going to get involved? Uh, super easy. So our, our website is chicagowolves.com. So um, on the website, we have a special event section um, under the tickets tab. So if you go to the special event section, we'll have a ton of information, including um, some registration information on the service project. Um, we do take res- registrations for it because we do have a pretty high demand for people who want to want to come out. So we just want to okay. make sure uh, we can facilitate all that. So there is a registration section on the website under special events. Um, and you know it is it it's a lot of fun we've had uh you know, when, we've, we, when we first started doing this service project attached to a game we found out a lot of people really want to do service work and mm-hmm. um and want to give back and want to do all these things and a lot a lot of them just don't know where to go or what mm-hmm. to do uh where to find some of the things that are uh that are available so we want to make it available so uh, so far it's been a really successful project for us yeah, and John, I want to talk for a minute about the hockey um, because I've been telling people on the air, the Wolves are a great opportunity, right? Like, it's a great place to take your family. As one who has done it, uh, you know, it's much more affordable, much more accessible, all of this stuff. But help people who maybe have never been out to see a Chicago Wolves game, why it's such a great spot to go as a family. No, I, pre- I appreciate the question. It's uh, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit biased here, but um, I'll do my best. We, uh, our, you know, our philosophy is built on this team is around really two things. On the on the ice, we want to win, and um, and and we exist to win championships. And and first and foremost in the sport, um, we want to do that. We've been we've been able to do that five times the last 29 years. Wow. So um, and the most recent one was last season. So we were we were blessed to uh, make a run all the way to the finals. We were playing hockey. 
uh, almost to the Fourth of July, and uh, and and at the end we were the Calder Cup champions for 2022. So winning's always been a part of it. Um, this year uh, we're we're in a little bit of a different scenario. We have a really really solid hockey team, and we're playing really great hockey right now. We've had some bumps along the way, so uh, we're fighting our way back to a playoff spot this year. Um, but the hockey's great. Beyond that, the other part of like what we want to be. Um, we want to be a bit of something for everybody, and we want to be a really strong value. So um, mm-hmm. we want people to feel like if you know if they come in and buy a ticket for their family, um, that they've they've had a tremendous experience, um, and it's more than just the game. We want it from yeah. from the moment you walk in and you have any type of experience with our staff, with our mascot, with our promotions team, uh, any of our partners, with other fans. Um, we want that experience in total uh, to be more than just what happens on the ice. And if we've if we've done that, um, win, lose, or draw, we want people driving away from the Allstate Arena with a smile on their face and feeling like they had an awesome time. And um, and we hear a lot about that. Um, yeah. You know, a lot goes into the game presentation. Um, yeah. There's more to more to that than just the hockey game. So we've we've tried to integrate a ton of fun and activity into into the evening as well. Again, you can go to the Chicago Wolves Faith and Fellowship Game Night this Saturday night, bringing families together around the sport of hockey. I love this event that's coming up. John, it's a little, like, it just feels a little unusual for a hockey team to to do what you're talking about. Like, we want to be more than just you're coming to a game, but you're experiencing something here, value here. And also, we're going to have a faith night. Where did this even come from? You know, to be honest, it's, um, you know, hockey is a sport. It's one of those sports. It's kind of like if you know, you know. Um, And our fan base says that all the time. Hockey people around the globe would say that. If you know, you know. And, um, you know, there there is a big initiative in the sport um, in the month of February uh, in, you know, Hockey Week across America. And and hockey is trying to be uh, an exceptionally inclusive sport for everybody. And and part of that for us is certainly people who share and celebrate their faith. And um, and we want that to be, um, you know, we want to create an atmosphere where people are welcome, where people can share, you know, like-minded values and just come together as a community. So um, that's important for us. And we want to make sure that our doors are wide open um, for everybody who wants to be a part of our our Wolves family. So um, we do a lot of different things throughout the year to do that. Um, and certainly this night, we've done it for a long time, and um, and this has been uh, a pillar of uh, of that philosophy with us. That's awesome. Again, go to ChicagoWolves.com to get your tickets, but also to go out and help make blankets for people who need them. And they're going to go out that night. That is that. that is just really cool. John, last question. Uh, can people pay? How do you get on the Zamboni? Is there a way to get on the we Zamboni to ride that Zamboni, thing? <laughs> you know, we have this really cool thing. We had uh, – uh, one of our guys in the office here, his name's Greg Sprott. Greg put together a program that we got this, um, got an older Zamboni completely rehabbed and refurbished. And it is, um, like, it's it's totally retrofitted. It does not actually clean the ice anymore, but it holds, we can ride 10 people around in this thing. No way. And so the, so the Zamboni, um, 
you know, we run it before the game, then we run it during intermissions. We can ride ten people out at a time. Fans get to go out and see all, you know, kind of wave from the wave from the ice and um, see what that experience is like being down there. So um, there's information on the website. It is yeah. a part of our fan experience. Um, if you guys want to do something, if you all come out, we'll get you on it. Um, if you want to do something for your <laughs> listeners, um, you know, do a four pack of tickets and in some Zamboni rides, and just let me know who the winners are. We'll take care of it. It's a killer experience. Done and done. (laughs) That's awesome. Again, uh, John Seda talking to us today about uh, the Faith and uh, Fellowship Night, a great family night at the Chicago Wolves. Go to chicagowolves.com, and that is taking place this Saturday at the Allstate Arena. John, great to meet you. Thanks for spending some time with us today. No, it's wonderful. I really appreciate your time. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's cool to be on with y'all. I appreciate you. We love connecting with you on social media. We are at Common Good Talk on the Instagram. Speaking of the Instagram, Brian, was your feed filled with people showing pictures of the ashes on their forehead from their church service this morning? It- it always is. I was I was laughing, looking at them. I thought to myself, because you and I we're non denominational, you know, boring church pastors. Church people. <laughs> so this should be called the non denominational guilt day. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, that's so, really funny. So the rest of you out there listening, non denominational, we you know a lot of higher churches will burn the palms from Palm Sunday last that's right. Sunday, and then use those to create ashes and make. Uh, the sign of the cross on people's forehead because today's Ash Wednesday, which is the beginning of Lent. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Lent is, the, it's really 46 days, but we don't count Sunday. So 40 days leading up to Easter and then after Easter Pentecost. And it's a time of, you kind of abstain or fast from something, yeah, yeah. Yeah, prayer, giving, as, like generous giving as a part of Lent as well. And I, I was laughing about how, I think it was Rich Viota. Somebody was on, some pastor was on, social media today saying, you know, he grew up in kind of a low church, non-denominational situation. And when he used to see the ashes, he was like, is that the mark of the beast? Like, (laughs) (laughs) So so some of us just, you know, depending on our faith tradition, it's something we did or didn't do. Did you you guys ever do it at your church? Like either not growing up, but like, have have you, Kevin ever did it? Like at our church, we've done it a couple times, but we don't have a regular, we're not doing anything this year. Um, again, this is the, the essence of being a non-denominational church. Uh, but it was also interesting because, um, we have a lot of, for lack of a better word, former Catholics in our church. Uh, and some of them got really worked up about the fact that we were doing Ash Wednesday. Like it was, it, we mm-hmm. had to talk about it. We had to work through I know. it. I think it's awesome. I remember when I was at Glenville Bible Church, we would do it sometimes, uh, I, but I do think it requires teaching. It requires going, yeah. here's what the ashes represent. Yeah. Here's yeah. what Lent is actually all about, right? Most of us just think of it as like, all right, I'm giving up chocolate. All right, I'm giving up meat. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm giving up. But there's more to Lent than that. And it's uh, as it walks us towards the celebration of Easter. It It, it is funny you say that. Like anytime we do anything that's a little like, high churchy or maybe has some um maybe like catholic adjacent roots there's always a group of people at our church are like hold up hold up what's going on here and so i think you're right to do those things especially in our settings to do them with teaching is is really really helpful apparently in downtown chicago they're offering uh 
at the train station. Yeah. Um, a place where you can get your ashes on your forehead. So we could have they do that in the suburbs too. That, right? They do that. Okay, in the suburbs. I, I knew some. I knew some I guys who would do it. Like they were the ones. They would just go there with a sign, and it, you know. <laughs> That feels non-denominational. Like, sure, anybody will just pass out ashes. It does feel a little bit uh, strange, but hey, I get it. I get it. It's a a way. uh, It's an outreach. How how about that? Let's talk about. That's good. Let's talk about the importance of Lent, whether or not you, you know, practice Ash Wednesday or not. And then, uh, Brian, like, are you doing anything in particular for the next forty days to kind of mark it, honor it? I gosh, this is like. All right, you're you're getting into my Christian guilt here, right? Like having been raised <laughs> in the church, because I I see great value in like doing things like Lent, even if that's not your faith tradition. Like there's value mm-hmm. in in fasting and taking things out of your life for a purpose. Like there's I've preached sermons on this, yeah, and I haven't given much thought to doing anything this year at all. Like I, I have I so to answer your question, I neither said to myself. I'm going to do something or I'm not going. I'm it just nothing. didn't even. Yeah, yeah. I actually asked Kevin this morning, are you going to give up anything for Lent? And he was like, uh, no, <laughs> I didn't really think about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, it's... But, okay. So what is the importance though? And then I actually have a, I have something you can do uh, for Lent. Wait, are you wh- giving something up? I I think so. I, I am uh I have an idea, I'm not ready to share it yet, of something I'm going to give up, but I obviously by the end of today, like the decision needs to be made. Um, So I'll tell you tomorrow. I'm not trying to be mysterious. I'm just sort of like in a debate mode. Like, God, is there anything that you want me to give up? Is there anything I should give up? I'm trying to think particularly of something that may have like a place in my life that it shouldn't, maybe not necessarily sinful, like, but just a little too, giving it a little too much space or power and do I step away from that for 40 days and invite God to fill in that space instead? We'll see it. We'll see on Instagram after Easter. We'll see it. We'll see on Instagram after Easter. No, it's not going to be social media. It's not that it's something else. But I, I do think people give up social media. They give up sugar. They give up alcohol. They give up TV shows. I, yeah. I've heard people do that too. And traditionally, point, Catholics just give to up focus meat. on the Lord. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's right. But the 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 point is to take forty days, give up that thing, uh, to spend the time really focusing on the Lord. But then also, so on Easter, when you get that thing back, it's all the more sweeter. So you're sort of celebrating the resurrection along with this treasure back in your life. And ideally, the treasure is back in its proper place, has kind of lost its control, but also you enjoy it a little more as you're celebrating Easter. So that's sort of the something, yes. the heart behind the tradition. Yeah. Uh, you want to know something you can do? I do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be real self-promoting here, Brian. <laughs> you can, you can, Brian, since you didn't know Please. what you were going to do, you can walk through my seven-week Lent devotional that's available at navpress.com. It's called Hearing the Louder Song Through the Lenten Season. You can go to my Instagram at obsamp to find out more, or you could just go to uh, navpress.com and search Hearing the Louder Song Through the Lenten Season. I can't wait to I hear would all like the to lessons you, you learned from me. I would like to support you and encourage you and say, I want to cheer you on. I want you to have all the success in the world. I do You're find say it no. funny that, that you as the non-denominational pastor <laughs> who grew up without any of this tradition, that, that you're the one doing this. But I'm all for well, it. I'm cheering you yeah. on. 
I'm Thank cheering you. you on. I appreciate I'm that. I, I enjoy embracing these traditions. I enjoy learning about Great. spiritual practices and walking in them. I'm so. giving up I'm giving up doing your devotional. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you are so mean to me, Brian. I'm telling you. Um, okay, so for people who are, you know, I mean, we're kind of making jokes about being low church, non-denominational, but uh, give some encouragement, Brian, as we enter into Lent and start looking towards Easter. Yeah, whether you grew up with the formality of it or not, there is biblically powerful things about uh removing things from our lives, of fasting, of disconnecting, mm. of all of these things. These are things we're all supposed to do, and they are for our benefit. And the second thing I would say is, even if you're not, I'm using air quotes, observing Lent or Ash Wednesday or whatever else it might be, you still need to intentionally prepare yourself for Easter. Like, that's mm. the beauty of Lent, that it should be a runway to Easter, to the celebration okay. of it. And sometimes yeah. those of us who don't, you know, do Lent or Ash Wednesday or whatever can wake up one day and be like, oh, wait, what? Easter's in two. Wait, oh, mm. I wasn't thinking. No, yeah. like, like per- this is like the big thing that we have, have centered our lives and our faith upon. Let us prepare ourselves for Easter, even if it's not through traditionally mm. the activities of Lent. Yeah, that's great. I love that. And if you're someone who has an idea for how you're going to celebrate Lent or mark Lent, let us know on our social media at Common Good Talk on Facebook. We are thrilled to be joined by Joy Mosley. She is the Associate Vice President of Government and Strategic Relations at the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities. And she is calling in from sunny North Carolina. (laughs) Joy, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. So, Joy, Brian and I have covered some of these stories regarding uh, schools, especially Christian schools, and their stances on sexuality and how there's been a lot of pushback. Can you just give us a picture of what is going on in this conversation around the country? Sure, I'd be happy to. I think it may be helpful to start with a little bit of an overview of of who we are as a CCCU and what we do, and then that can lead into the types for which we advocate. Um, So the CCCU is a Christian higher education association that includes over about 190 institutions in the U.S. and across the world. And so as the leading national voice for Christian higher education, we focus on protecting and promoting Christ-centered education. So for promotion, we want to share the value of holistic education that integrates faith not only with every academic discipline, but with every area and activity of life so that we're a community that makes a difference for the common good as redemptive voices in the world. And in terms of protecting Christian higher education, the CCCU advocates in all three branches of government to ensure that institutions are able to live out their distinctive Christian mission and calling. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the areas where we see, um, you know, we just get to talk with a lot of folks and share, share who, who the CCCU is, who our Christian colleges are, and just share that they need to be able to live out their particular mission. And we just share the value of institutional autonomy. Like the higher education landscape is a diverse landscape. It's made up not only of faith-based institutions, but of, you know, small private colleges, of large land-grant universities, of historically black colleges and universities, of, you know, single gender institutions. And so those institutions need to be able to live out their mission to flourish in society. And faith-based colleges are no different. We need the ability to live out our faith 
in authentic ways that are, um, you know, that are concurrent with scripture. Mm. And students are, students then have the choice to take their federal dollars to Christian colleges. So we want to be that authentic, distinctive community that is attractive to students. And does every student in the, in, you know, in the country want to attend a Christian college? Probably not, but mm-hmm. we want to be who we authentically are so that we're attractive to those students who do choose to attend a college where everything is integrated with faith and brought under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Oh, that's really, that's really uh, good. Now, uh, Joy, there's this lawsuit out there called the Hunter versus the Department of Education lawsuit, which is a big deal. Uh, help educate our people. What is Hunter versus the Department of Education? Sure. So in this lawsuit, 40 students from Christian colleges and schools are suing the Department of Education to eliminate the Title IX religious exemption. And institutions are exempt from the parts of Title IX that conflict with their religious tenets. So that exemption allows students to take their federal dollars to the school of their choice, including a Christian college. Hmm. And so if you eradicate that exemption, you would restrict student choice in an unprecedented way. And so the plaintiffs in this case argued that the Title IX religious exemption is unconstitutional, that it doesn't have a basis in law. But actually, the religious exemption is constitutionally required. Um, And so Mm. this case started back in March of 21, and it was dismissed uh, last month in January. And so we're grateful that the case was dismissed, but we do expect an appeal and we expect that similar similar challenges will continue. Mm. And in the appeal, um, what is the argument? What is the U.S. Department of Education arguing? What are they trying to fight for uh, that then you guys are trying to fight against or push back against? Yeah, so the the students are suing the Department of Education, and the Department of Education is actually defending the lawsuit. Oh, okay. The the Department of Justice represents agencies when they get sued, so the Department of Justice is representing the Department of Education in this case, but they're fellow defenders in the lawsuit. Gotcha. They're defending the law. The religious Mm -hmm. exemption in Title IX is statutory law. Um, And so the plaintiffs are arguing that that's unconstitutional and that it's – that it that it discriminates against um, a certain segment of students, but like I said, it's actually constitutionally protected not only in in the statute of Title IX, but also in the First Amendment of the Constitution. Yeah. Yeah, and Joy, help us. This is a big question, but why does this matter? Why does this religious exemption in Title IX? Why should people, Christians out there who are listening, care about this? Yeah, so Christians should care because the Title IX religious exemption allows institutions to live out their faith. If they did not have the religious exemption, they would be forced to either comply with Title IX in a way that violates their religious beliefs, or they would be forced to forego federal funding. And again, the college is not the one foregoing the federal funding. It's the students who would be hurt because students Mm. take those federal dollars to the institution of their choice. And if students are not allowed to take their grant aid and federal aid to a Christian college, that would hurt that would hurt thousands of students, hundreds of thousands of students. The CCCU has about 520,000 students annually with alumni of 10 million. And so wow. this would be a huge, a huge impact for our students. Hmm. 
And Joy, for our listeners who are passionate about this and really want to do something about it, who should they be contacting? Like, who should they be reaching out to, writing, emailing, calling, et cetera? Yeah, so, I mean, the first thing I would say, um, so as a as a um, Reformed Presbyterian, I'll have three points here. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. The, the first thing would be to be a prayer partner with us. That's mm-hmm. the most important thing is, is this is not the CCC's work. This is not a college's work. This is the Lord's work. And so if, if those listening would join us in prayer, that would be the most impactful thing. Um, also, I want to suggest that another way to you know, be involved is just supporting our Christian colleges. Mm-hmm. And if you're a listener and you know someone who's you know, a high school age churchgoer, like ask if they're considering a Christian college. I, I would love to see that every, every high school age Christian who's going to college consider a Christian college. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. great. And then the other thing that I would say is, you know, if you're really interested in this work, particularly the advocacy work, um, I would suggest getting, you know, you might want to be involved with the work we're doing. So you can reach out to me um, and we can get you involved in like our newsletters that we send out. But you also may want to be involved in, in contributing to the work. Yeah. In terms of, um, filing comments or being a part of um, supporting the CCC with your resources. There's, there's a lot of ways to, to be involved. Oh, that's so fantastic. So appreciate that, Joy. Where can our listeners connect with you specifically, and where can they find out more about uh, all the work that you're doing? Yeah, so I would point folks to the website, which is cccu.org, three Cs, um, cccu.org. And then I'm happy to share my email as well, because I would love to hear from listeners, and I would love to um, allow folks to sign up for a monthly newsletter that I send out that just shares some of the work going on in the government relations space. And so that is Jay Mosley, M-O-S-L-E-Y at cccu.org. That is wonderful. Jay Mosley at cccu.org. Joy, thanks so much for being here with us today. We really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having me. Mm-hmm. It's the end of the show, and we're going to talk about difficult advice. But before we do, we actually want to remind you about something really, really fun that's going on this Saturday. You are invited to join the Chicago Wolves for their family and fellowship night on Saturday, February 25th. It's at the Allstate Arena. Uh, what did, we've, I learned that you don't say game starts at 7 p.m. You say like the puck, puck drops. Puck drops at 7 p.m. It's also a really cool night because apparently you can register to go early and make blankets for the homeless population in Chicago with the Salvation Army. So that's really, really cool. Uh, Here's what we want you to do. We want you to win a pair of tickets. So for a chance to win, you can go to our website, 1160hope.com. Use the keyword faith. Brian, I think you and I might be at that game with our families. Yeah, it's a very fun night again this Saturday. 7 p.m. for the Chicago Wolves Family and Fellowship Night. All right, Brian, um, what's the most, like when you were growing up and you were getting advice, Mm. was there any advice that was not the best advice you've ever heard, but like the most difficult advice you've ever heard? The most difficult advice. I mean, that's kind of an extreme question, but some advice that you were like, oh, that's a hard pill to swallow right there. I think it's something – this is going to sound really basic. I think it's something like 
life isn't always fair, right? Like yeah, you, you, yeah. There comes a point in your youth where you're like, wait, that what the heck? This was that's not fair. Like uh-huh. that's not how it's supposed to. I didn't do uh-huh. that. And you're like somebody looks at you and says, hey, you just learned a hard lesson. Life's not always fair. Life's and then you're not like, fair. Oh, that's no fun. That is a good one. It's funny you say that because my mom used to always be like, I, my sister and I'd be like, well, that's not fair. And she'd be like, well, life isn't fair. I think a lot of yep. parents use that line. And you're kind of right. That's a hard pill to swallow, but it's really true. Life isn't always fair. All right. Well, I asked you that because over at BuzzFeed, they are sharing. They asked uh, users on Reddit, what are the hardest pills to swallow in life? So what are what are some of the most difficult pieces of advice you don't really want to hear, even if you need to? <laughs> I thought we could share that list as we wrap up the show today because some of this is kind of difficult, but some of it's like, oh, yeah, this is good. So here's the first one. Brian, you ready for it? I'm ready. Sometimes things just change. It's nobody's fault, but they change. Mm. That's a hard one. Uh, yeah. It's a hard one. These are, these are going to be depressing. These are going to be like, oh, yep, I've learned that way too many times. <laughs> uh, number two. Nobody is obligated to be in your life. Years oh. of commitment and love can go up in smoke because someone decided they were done with. Ouch! Oh. That's hard. <laughs> Ouch! That one's harsh. That one feels. Uh, that one but feels true. very particular in ministry, right? Like ministry doesn't love you back. Oh, mm-hmm. that's a harsh mm-hmm. one. All right. Uh, wow, this is a tricky one. We'll have to turn these somehow. What does the gospel say about these? Here's number three: <laughs> bad people win frequently. Some people in leadership positions are not good leaders. Some who are not in leadership are good leaders. People will take advantage of your hard work. Many people get to where they are because of nepotism. That Oof. nepotism thing is so true or like it's all about who you know. That was kind yeah. of a hard pill for me to swallow. Like, oh, wait, they're in that position because of who they know or who their family is. And it doesn't mean they're not necessarily good at it, but like, hmm, I wonder had it been a fair shake, would somebody else be in that yeah. you know, position yeah. place thing, et cetera? Part of that is also to define what they mean by win, but um, fair, fair. But yes. no, you're right. The nepotism thing. I read somewhere recently. I might get the number wrong, but it is like north of eighty percent of incoming freshmen at Harvard were legacy children, people who had family no members who went there. No way. I mean, it's just an absurd a big it, number. Wow. It was really hard. Uh, number four. Not everything will happen according to your plan. Ugh. Mm. Yes, very true. That's a, that, that is, is a, a true statement. difficult lesson. I feel like a lot of these have like theological truths to them. We'll 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 leave some space for that at the end. All right. Some I I think this is actually a really good piece of advice. Some relationships mm-hmm. or friendships are meant to be temporary. I like to say seasonal. You've got some relationships for a season. Appreciate the memories and the lessons they give you, but when the time comes you have to let go and move on. And I think mm. that is a that's a really really important lesson, especially in this day and age of social media where we're like connected to people forever. It is okay to like let some relationships be what they were seasonally. You don't have to vilify that person or that thing, but just realize like, oh, I think I think it's time to move into a new season. I'm done now. I don't like that one as a pastor. Because <laughs> I want to be like, nope, you're supposed to be here for good. <laughs> you're my friend forever. <laughs> uh, number six. Man, these are good. They're like, they're yeah. like, they're like uh, effective fortune cookies here. Yeah, yeah. Just because something is not your fault doesn't mean it's not your responsibility. <gasps> this is leadership Ooh, 101 here. Just because dang. you can put it on somebody else doesn't mean, especially if they're under you, right? Like it's your yep. responsibility. Like I think you and I, we know churches. And so yep. 
Uh, if something happens in my church that's bad, ultimately that's my responsibility, even if it wasn't my fault. Yes, that is that you're right. That is leadership 101 right there. That that actually feels like something I'm going to start using in my parenting. I'm going to steal that one. Mm-hmm. All right, here's another one. Some bells can't be unrung and you have to live with the fallout from decisions you made and things you did when you did not know this fact. Woo, that's a hard lesson to learn when you're young, that some decisions you make just have consequences that will stick with you for a very, very, very long time. Makes you think about decisions you make, doesn't it? Yep, I totally. Is. There's a guy mm-hmm. on, it kind of goes along with this, but there's a guy on ESPN. He's a former football coach named Herm Edwards. And he has famously said when he was a coach, but he says it on the TV all the time. He says, the biggest advice I give to young people is don't hit send. Don't hit Ugh. send. Like that's his saying. Don't wow. hit send. Oh, that's so good. Because once wow. you hit send, it's out there. It's Can't out take there. Take it back. Yep. Ooh. Life get here. Think about this one. Life gives you the mm. test first, then the lesson. I think that is so true. Like you often don't know what you know until you walk through it, and that's yeah. I. I tend to want the lesson beforehand, right? But oftentimes that just actually isn't isn't true. Okay, uh, let's uh, let's uh, skip and go down to a couple one. If you want a great life, great friends, and great experiences, you have to seek them out yourself and nurture them. I think this is so good. They aren't randomly assigned to you, and no one will take care of it but you. So this is really, really helpful. It does say, of course, partly depending on other people, but you have to have agency. I think this is – like sometimes I do think we're sort of waiting for – other people or opportunities to like land in our life, like a magic fairy is going to sprinkle them. mm -hmm. But to trust that like, if God has put people in your life, opportunities in your life, you partner with God and do the work of nurturing them. We talk about this in marriage all the time. Like you have to do the work of caring for your relationship or else it's just going to fall apart. That's right. That's right. This one is good good. for, this one's good for the social media age, but also for us as Christians, like this one's one's good. Being cynical is not the same as having healthy skepticism. Hmm. It doesn't make you seem smart, but rather short-sighted and just angry that the world didn't just award you everything you feel entitled to because you're so gifted. Whoa, dang. (laughs) Yeah, this idea of cynicism, uh, I think that's an unhealthy thing that has grown in our culture and in our churches. Like, we've become a cynical people, and I don't know that's for the better. I don't think that's for the better. Yeah, it might not be. Okay, Brian, with the last just, like, minute we have, give us some, like, gospel truth around some of these pieces of advice. Pastor us, Pastor Brian. Uh, Don't hit send. No, that's uh, (laughs) – I actually love that. That's a different one. Uh, I would say this. Um, A lot of these make it seem like the world is just happenstance. Right. Mm. Like um, you can't control what happens or that. Blah, blah. Yeah. And I would say this. We have a God that we can put our faith in and trust in. We have a God yeah. in whom we know is is firm foundation. And so, um, yes, some of these ma- these are true to our day to day lives, but it doesn't the world is not as random as these things make it out to be. And so we can have hope. We can have hope that that that. Um, that there is a firm foundation that Jesus is good and on the throne and we can yeah. hold on to that. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good word for us on this Wednesday evening. Well, we'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.